Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there, and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So on this very first episode of the podcast, my guest is someone who's a, a comedian, actor, singer, master of the uh, Twitter thread, Suze Kempner. Hello. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here remotely. <laughs> yeah, I like being called a master. On lockdown, you have to take what you can get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, for context, for anyone who's listening to this in the distant future, we're recording this in March 2020, when we're all basically uh, trapped indoors because of the coronavirus. <laughs> Hence the remote recording. Yeah, Geddon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to start with a sort of two-part question. Uh, what is your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV show before? Sure. Well, my history with S Club 7 is I'm just slightly too old to have been a fan of S Club 7. I was a teenager, I think, by the time they became a thing. But I definitely got down to Don't Stop, Never Give Up at various parties over the last 25 years. <laughs> it, just slightly less than 25 years, actually, I think. But yes, I've done a lot of dancing to S Club 7. I I thought I had seen the TV show. Having watched this one episode, I definitely never did. I think I thought I'd absorbed it by osmosis because it was always on <laughs> at sort of half past four. But yeah, I think it was just a pre-neighbours snack that I never quite ate. Yeah, at the height of their fame, I was in primary school, so I was a big fan. Mm. I remember I watched the TV show at one point when I was off school with chicken pox. Oh, I remember okay. at the time it, it felt like I was off for months, but I definitely wasn't. I'll, I'll have to check with my mum, but yeah. I think it was like a week or two. But I remember my friend lent me all of her videos and so I basically binge watched that. It was probably the first show that I ever binge watched before wow. that was really a thing. <laughs> Would it have been about the year 2000? You were binge watching probably. EastEnders, binge watching S Club 7, shows where my head's at. So that would have been about the year 2000. Yeah, I think so, around that time. So there's four series of this show altogether, and each oh series God. has a different name. There's Miami 7, mm. the second series is LA 7, Okay. The third series is Hollywood 7. That's the same as LA. And then the fourth one is Viva S Club. Where do they go for Viva S Club? Is, are they just like in a Spanish resort then? I think it's Barcelona. Okay. And it's not got a 7 in the title. Oh, did they lose one? Yeah, Paul had left at that point. Paul left to go in Les Mis? No, I think that was John. Paul left to do 
a new metal band. Oh no, Paul. Yeah. That was never going to work. Oh. I know, bless him. I think he's in a few episodes of the fourth series and then, yeah, he leaves as part of the series. They wow. It okay. Wow. So Viva S Club 6. Yeah, pretty much. So on this podcast, we're doing things chronologically. So we're starting off with Miami 7. And today mm. we're looking at episode one, which is called Take Off. This originally aired on the 8th of April, 1999 on CBBC. And the episode was written by Kim Fuller, who also wrote the Spice Girls movie. Did she? Uh, not long before this. He, yeah. He, is this someone, because isn't Simon Fuller something to do with the yeah. Spice Girls? So Kim is a brother or? Yeah, or brothers. Husband? They're brothers. I'm, I want to say at this point, I've also seen the Spice Girls movie. I saw that a lot. And Kim and Kim is a terrible writer. And I don't think I'm going to get into any trouble for saying that. That's that's because the Spice Girls movie. Have you have you watched it recently? Uh, I watched a bit of it the other day, actually, as kind of right. research for this because <laughs> I didn't remember it very well. It's a weird couple of hours. That Spice Girls movie. It's all over the place. Yeah, and I think when you know it's written by the same person, you can kind of tell. Like, yes, yeah, that has blown my patterns. mind. Yeah, so Simon Fuller created the Spice Girls and S Club. And then his brother, Kim Fuller, wrote uh, the Spice Girls movie and then created the S Club TV series. Gotcha. He's not the only writer on the series. There's some others as well. But he did write this opening episode that we're looking at. Okay. <laughs> That's all down to him. Well, yep. <laughs> yeah, I've got some things to say about this show. So where do you want to start? Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, mm. If we just kind of go through it scene by scene as much as we yeah, can, yeah, we're going to really. break this down. Yeah, <laughs> so it all starts where the band are rehearsing in this church hall, aren't they? It's really strange, and there's two older people there who do a panto gag about getting off with a comet, but and they, she means a member of a band, but it, but then she goes, "Oh, I'll have to wait 120 years for another one." Ha ha! And you go, "Well, were you literally getting off with a meteorite?" Because that's weird. Yeah, he does a good line delivery where he goes, you never told me you snogged a comet. Horrendous. And it's like EastEnders or something. Oh, it wishes. It's quite a weird opening gag for like a kid's TV show as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's just some very, very odd stuff in here that it bearing in mind is a show for children. Yeah, Tina's kind of rolling her eyes because John missed a step, Paul was a bit flat, mm. and Paul says he got distracted because he was thinking about lunch. And this seems to be a kind of running theme where his main characteristic is that he's always really hungry. Yeah, they seem to have a, a like, they very quickly introduce that each character has basically two character traits. So he's always hungry. Rachel's really vain. And also we find out in the next scene, Rachel's vain and stupid. Uh, and Bradley's a nerd. Yeah, quite a lot of them are portrayed as being quite stupid. And I read somewhere that the personas are kind of based on their real personalities. And I think if that's the case, it's oh. a little bit insulting to some of them. Yeah, if I'd seen that, seen that script, I'd have had a word with Kim Fuller. Also, I just want to know, like they show Bradley on a computer and it's a really old computer. And I know this show is from 21 years ago, but since when did 1999 look like the mid 80s? 
This show looks so old. Yeah, I was thinking, I don't remember ever really going to an internet cafe. Do you remember going to one in 1999? I remember going to an internet cafe when I had a job at McDonald's, which would have been 2001. And there was there was like a internet cafe in the middle of Gatwick Airport, which is where the McDonald's I worked was. I used to go, I did go to that internet cafe, actually. It didn't look like right. the S Club one. Yeah, it's very uh, colourful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, quite a lot going on. Yeah. Also, that first scene in that church hall was all done in one shot. Like, oh, I didn't know like that bit that. in Goodfellas, like the steady cam through the Copacabana in Goodfellas. And I was watching, going, like, oh, this director, he's trying to make his mark. Yeah, I never, that didn't occur to me. And <laughs> they're doing that weird kind of thing where they're all having a conversation and sort of taking it in turns to say a line each. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point, Rachel is kind of crouching on the floor, like they wanted to mix it up a little bit. So yeah, giving it levels. Um, It was a highly choreographed first scene. I didn't watch it thinking, oh, it's all been done in one shot. That's impressive. I went, oh, it's all been done in one shot. Why have you bothered? That was my yeah, thought. Yeah, strange, strange choice. Yeah. Rachel says something about having a manicure and a facial and they're all like, oh, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her thing is she's vain. Yeah. And they all are like, oh, Rachel, fancy doing those feminine things, honestly. Yeah. Imagine looking after your skin. And they're all complaining about how they haven't had a gig in months. Uh, They're not happy with their manager who's called Danny Parsons. And Paul says he couldn't give a broken wind about us. That's not a thing people say, Paul. Yeah, this will come up later as well. They use the word parp a lot as a kind of substitute for any swear word, it seems. Okay, This this comes from... I remember this in Smash Hits magazine. They would right. have like photos of pop stars and then they just have a, um, what they call them, those starburst, colorburst things from comics yeah, speech, behind them. speech bubbles. Yeah, just, just saying pop. That, I remember that in Smash Hits magazine. <laughs> Maybe that's it. where this came from because I yeah. don't remember being this, this being a thing that caught on at all. Yeah popping about. Joe is saying as well that the church hall is kicking them out or she says it like the church hall and I had to play it a few times mm. to figure out what she was on about. Yeah, she's got a strong accent. They, they're they getting chucked out for the plasticine modelling workshop or something like that, aren't they? And Hannah says something really dark here. She says... Still, it could be worse. Hi. Or we could all be stuck in a lift at the top of a burning skyscraper. They do some alarm, like this is all pre 9-11, obviously, but they've got some yeah. alarming imagery in there. I mean, we'll get to it, I'm sure, but they go to the manager's office and say, oh, he, I can't remember what the exact wording is, but they go, he has to speak to us or he'll have an appointment with death. Like, what, are you going to fucking yeah. kill him? Guys. Yeah, it's bizarre. There's some real dark turns out of nowhere. Yeah. One thing that really struck me about all this is how young they all are, because I remember watching this as a child and thinking they were all like grown-ups, you know. Right. But watching it now, they all look like absolute babies. They do, but they also don't look quite young enough <laughs> to be yeah. carrying on like this. Like Rachel Stevens would have been, pro- they were probably in their early 20s when they were making this. Although it would be like one of them was 28. That will be a thing that happened. Well, they're weirdly, they yeah, they, they're really young. John is the youngest okay. and he's 16. 
He's not. Yeah, he's oh 16. Oh, my God. I think two of them are 17. Paul is the oldest and he's only 22. Oh, right. See, to me, they look a lot older than that, but I think that's a very 90s thing. It was, the makeup was very harsh in the 90s. There's no uh, contouring. <laughs> no, 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 none of this, um, no, no filters. I think it must have been a little bit weird for them because they... You know, they got into this band and then suddenly they're being whisked off to America to do a TV series and hardly any of them had acted before. Well, it I mean, shows. It must have been a bit daunting, yeah. <laughs> it's, mad. it's mad. Some of the acting is properly appalling. Like John in particular, he arrives going, I've got a job interview, don't worry, I won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched like the later series recently, so I'm not sure if it improves at all. So I'm looking forward to finding out. Does it get better? Do they like, is there stuff where they don't have to hide a body that they've hit on the highway and that kind of thing? I can't remember. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> it because there are little bits that I remember. Like at one point, Hannah and Paul are dating in real life and they write oh. it into the show. Oh, that's the kiss of death, isn't it? Yeah. No wonder he left. I can't remember if the breakup is in the show or not. I'll have to see. So they're in this internet cafe because it's the 90s, Yeah, uh, but it looks even older. Bradley's trying to download a game. Yeah. Paul is the only one eating because that's what he's all about. a very, very hungry boy. Yeah, yeah. They decide they're going to give their manager an ultimatum. Basically, if he doesn't get them a gig in two weeks, they're going to go out and get a new manager. And this is actually where Bradley says, yeah, he's pop. I say we dump him. Yeah. Alarming. Also, I like like guys. You haven't had a gig in months. I don't know why you think it's going to be so easy to get a new manager. But then I guess things were different in the nineties. Yeah, you can just walk into any manager's office. Yeah, that's it. We're going to get managed by Simon Fuller. Yeah, John comes in in a suit. And do you remember what Hannah says to him oh, at this the, point? Yeah, it's really weird. She goes like, "Oh, look at you, Tony Blair." Yeah, <laughs> he's also wearing a suit from the seventies. Yeah, he does look like a 16-year-old in a suit, which mm. is what he is, but he definitely looks like a little boy going for a job interview. Yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, a reference to Tony Blair. Yet another bit in this show where it's like, hey, I know what kids like, said Kim Fuller. <laughs> they like references to Tony Blair. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, John. You're looking a bit Tony Blair, John. What's that? I've got a job interview. Yeah, we've had Haley and the Comets. Tony Blair. There's a there's a Reservoir Dogs reference in a bit. That, I wrote that down when as soon as Little Green Bag started, I went, Are they doing a reference to Reservoir Dogs? Because that is crazy. The target audience for this is like nine years old. And that film was Kids out. Love Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, a, a film that had been out for seven years at this point. John's going for a job interview at the Clean Easy Carpet Company, and mm. the others are all quite despondent, but they say, oh, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe we should get proper jobs. Rachel says, maybe fame is just poo in the sky. Yeah, she goes, poo in the sky instead of pie in the sky. And they go, oh, Rachel, you're an idiot and you're vain. She's both of those things. She often looks like she's just kind of not with it. No, she, they, they, um, also they, the way they go, oh, we, maybe we should all get proper jobs makes me think like you guys have got rich parents, uh, someone supporting you while you get absolutely no work whatsoever. 
Like someone's paying for that church hall. Yeah. And John says later that if he gets the job, he has to move to London. And I was thinking, oh, where is this set then? Yeah. Because if they want to make it as a band, why don't they just move to London? Yeah, why are you guys in London anyway? Yeah, they're complaining that they haven't got any gigs. And it's like, well, where are you? (laughs) You could be in the middle of nowhere. The, The whole thing is crazy. The whole thing is like Kim Fuller went, I'm going to write a first draft, but I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to write like a framework of scenes. And then on the day, I'll just write the scenes. Fuck it. Who cares? That's what the, that's what this show came across as. It's like gaping great holes in everything. Wait, is Kim Fuller, is Kim Fuller like 14 when this show is written? I've no idea. I don't think so. I mean, he probably wasn't because he's referencing Tony Blair and Reservoir Dogs, but it is the sort of thing that I would have written when I was about 13, 14 and gone, ah, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, a lot of the jokes where you just kind of think, oh, okay, is that the punchline? Yeah. Because I know it's a kid's show, but still. And it opens with them like doing a song and dance number, clearly, what's the word, clearly recorded. Like those aren't live vocals, but fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, and it, and those the two old people who go on about comets, Clapham. Uh, it it really answered the question for me. What would Glee look like if it was made for sixty five pence? That's what this show looked like. <laughs> yeah, if if Glee was British and on CBBC. Yeah, yeah. So they decide they're going to go see their manager and give him this ultimatum. And they all put their hands together in the middle of the table and say, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. And then there's like a lightning flash between them. Yeah, and they all go, ow. As if that's, oh yeah, that's the thing that happens sometimes. It's really nothing, like this Spice World, the movie, is the same. Really strange things happen and you just go, wait, hang on, what? And then they just move on. Yeah, just move on. I think Kim Fuller took some unfortunate drugs in the 60s. He's either 14 or 60 years old. I haven't decided yet. (laughs) Yeah, I should have looked that up. I have no idea. (laughs) This is where we get the Reservoir Dogs reference because they're walking down the street going to see the manager Mm. and there's a record scratch and Paul falls over. Yeah. So they've they've tried to kiddify Reservoir Dogs a little yeah. bit. I mean, also there's uh that's not the only time in this episode that they go and then he fell over. They use it as a punchline often. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they go and see the manager and then I I felt like the pace just wet it was like wading through quicksand. The pace just dropped. There's a lengthy thing where this secretary's got lipstick on her face and then looks through a filing cabinet for ages. We didn't need any of it. Yeah. And they're all trying to look hard, aren't they? They're like chewing gum. John looks adorable in his little suit. Yeah, he's still got the suit on. Yeah. They say, oh, we've got a bone to pick with Danny Parsons. And Tina goes, in fact, a whole skeleton. Right. Cracking gags. Yeah. And that, yeah, this is the point where the, the receptionist says, do you have an appointment? And Joe says, if he doesn't see us, he'll have an appointment with death. Yeah. Joe's going to kill him. Joe's literally going to kill him. That seems to be a running thing with her as well. Like they've portrayed her as being quite sort of hard. It might be because of her accent, which probably isn't great, but um, maybe that's how her character is. I mean, a mere seven years later, she was 
one of the most hated people on television. Uh, yeah, it is hard <laughs> because she was, you know, the lead singer in the band. And then when it finished, she started doing solo stuff. And then that happened. Mm. And yeah, that was it. Yeah. We've come to see Danny Parsons. Yeah, we've got a bone to pick with him. In fact, a whole skeleton. And you are? We're very angry. And furious. I'm afraid Mr. Parsons is very busy at the moment. Do you have an appointment? No, we don't. But if he doesn't see us, he'll have an appointment with death. Before they go into the office, they ring the buzzer and they say, it's the S Club, open up. And that was really weird to me because throughout this whole thing, actually, they refer to themselves as the S Club 7. Right. Always a the at the beginning. And to me, it's just S Club or S Club 7. I've never heard that before, but it's throughout this whole show, it seems. <laughs> so they storm into his office, don't they, and start sort of screaming at him. Yeah, they... They really go hard from the off, uh, this guy. To be honest, like they've just threatened to kill him and I'm sort of with him at this point. Also, they're screaming at their manager and they keep then cutting to stock footage of black and like stock black and white footage of buildings being demolished. Yeah. The show is so weird. <laughs> yeah, because Paul says, sort it or we'll demolish you. And then they yeah, keep cutting to all these buildings being demolished. Yeah, like old 50s footage. It's really odd. And then the the upshot and they're like, get, you'll get us a gig, get us a gig. The scene ends with him sort of staggering out of his office covered in rubble. Yeah, and there's smoke everywhere. And it's like they've yeah. set him on fire off camera or something. Well, I presumed like, oh, the buildings being demolished was the fantasy. And then it happened to him for real. A building fell on him. Just really odd stuff for a kid's show. And then as they leave, there's a guy spinning plates and Tina just slaps one out of his hand onto the floor. <laughs> Unnecessary, yeah. poor guy. He was just there minding his own business, trying to get an agent. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, I think that the antagonists of this show are VS Club 7. Because, I mean, we were talking about the Spice Girls before. You know, they had these very distinctive personas, didn't they? And with S Club, it's not quite as mm. clear cut. And they have sort of similar personalities, a lot of them. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. If I was a child watching this, you know, in the in 99, I wouldn't necessarily be able to differentiate between them that easily yeah apparently they all have colors associated with them so kind of like the power rangers but yeah that's difficult to get a grip of as well really well it is because also it's the late 90s and everyone was in awful pastel colors but <laughs> we're all in our pastels we're the s club so yeah also in the manager's office there's a magician who's holding a rabbit and i just liked how much the rabbit looked furious <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he turns into a guinea pig, doesn't he? So we cut to Miami, specifically the worst hotel in Miami. That's the caption. Yeah. Uh, and it's run by these two brothers called Howard and Marvin. Oh, uh, was okay. I only got Marvin because they say it about 500 times, but I didn't get Howard. Okay. We've got a problem. I know, Marvin. In fact, we've got a basket load of problems. I know, Marvin. <laughs> we've got a truckload of problems, a uh, train load. Look, I don't want to hear about them, okay? Yeah, I've written down straight Harvey Firestein and sad American Borat. Okay, yeah, he did look like Borat. It really smash cuts to Miami as well. Yeah, out of nowhere. They're talking about how the hotel's losing money, reminiscing about when their dad was running things, about how there was music and dancing and pretty girls Ugh. who, it, by the sounds of it, their dad was kind of harassing the girls. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. 
it's a, it was really strange. There's been no mention of Miami at all in this show. And then all of a sudden it really smash cuts there. I mean, I don't want to act as a script doctor to S Club Miami, but I feel like it only needed one character to go, I wish we could play somewhere like Miami or something. And they all go, yeah. And then they move on with the conversation. Like That's all it required for this smash cut to Miami to not have been so jarring. But anyway, I don't want to be a script doctor for this show. They're talking about how they need to get some new life into the place, basically. Mm-hmm. Howard says, oh, but I hate young people. They're just not old enough. Yeah. Which is another weird kind of, is that a joke? <laughs> it's just a weird line for a kid's show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So they're back in the internet cafe. John reveals that he got the job. And this is the point where he says, oh, I've got a week's training and then I have oh, to move yeah. to London. It's like, where are you then? We have no idea. Are they like Peterborough or something? Maybe, yeah. Some arse, arse end of, but it, near enough London, but in a sad way. They, they also, Hannah goes, oh, that's great, John. And Joe says, no, it isn't, with the same anger of like Joe <laughs> Pesci and Goodfellas. Yeah, Hannah's quite sweet. I think I think she's maybe the most likable in this. She's quite sort of, I mean, apart from the dark things she says about burning skyscrapers. I think she's seen too much. I think that's Hannah's problem. Yeah, I mean, she says something else later on as well that we'll get into in a bit. We'll get that, but, yeah. Yeah, because they've, because they've now been yelling at the manager, he basically wants to get them as far away as possible. So he calls up Howard at the hotel because they know each other somehow. Yeah. And he says to Howard, I've got a pop group. They're going to be the new Oasis. Oh, yeah. Oasis must have been massive then. So that's fair. Why didn't he just say they're going to be the new Spice Girls? Oh, I don't know. That would have made more sense. Yeah, because Spice Girls were big in America. Not that it matters. This was a very British show. But they could have said, oh, they're going to be the new Spice Girls. And because S Club and Spice Girls had the same age group following them. Yeah, well, I've got a proposition for you. A pop group. They're going to be the new Oasis. The new what? The new U2. You who? Well, what groups have you heard of? The Beatles. That's it. They're going to be the new Beatles. Yeah, this show did air in America, but S Club 7 were never really big over there. I I only really know this because there's a guy on YouTube called Todd in the Shadows who does like... um, Oh, yeah. critiques pop music, yeah. And he does uh, a a series called uh, One Hit Wonderland. Okay. And one of those videos that he's done is about S Club because in America they were a one hit wonder. I see. So what? Don't stop, never give up. That was a No, weirdly, it was never had a dream come true, the sort of ballad where they're all in fur coats. I remember that, yeah, and it's snowing. Yeah. So, yeah, he's telling the manager that, you know, they can come over to the hotel basically because they need some new people. John is leaving to start his new job. And so he's saying his goodbyes. And Tina says to him, uh, dress warm and take a spare hanky. Yeah, like a nana. Yeah. And then just after Mm. he's left the cafe, this phone call comes through. 
the waitress answers it and she passes the phone to Joe, who kind of just grabs it and is like, Miami? Yeah, barely, barely a breath. It's like she answered the phone and, and he was halfway through saying the word Miami. He'd got like to Maya and she just started shouting Miami. Yeah, yeah. The manager tells them that they're going to Miami for three months. They're staying in this top hotel. They give He gives them a massive contract and they say, oh, it's a pity John isn't here to look through it. And I thought, is he like the only one who can read or something? Seems like a strange <laughs> comment. <laughs> yeah, he. well, bear in mind, he's 16. It's a shame John isn't here, the, the legal expert. Oh, bless him. Um, so did this sort of bring back any memories for you of like going abroad to perform? Oh, boy. I mean, we had a very... Um, a very odd contract when I did when I was 22, too old to be an S club. Uh, I was went to Iron Apple and was a Christina Aguilera tribute act. I've barely mentioned it. And um, <laughs> uh, where we had a contract, which it later turned out was barely worth the paper it was printed on. So, you know, it's a shame they haven't got a legal expert to look over that because they it might have saved them a lot of pain. Unless, you know, I don't know what happens in this series. They might have an amazing time. <laughs> So we, we then see them in this playground where they're all not on this roundabout together, imagining what Miami's going to be like. Yeah. And it's kind of established that they have these sort of group hallucinations, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's disturbing. Oh, there's one thing I want to say about the manager. Um, he, they go, oh, we're going to Miami. And he goes, yeah, you, I wrote it down. You can't move for boobs and tans and thong bikinis. Like nine, this is a show for eight and nine-year-olds. Yeah, and like four out of the seven band members are girls as well. So I don't know why that yeah. would appeal to them about going there. Yeah. Good news. Good news, girls. There's loads of tits. Oh, possibly one of you is a straight man. So <laughs> you will love all the tits out there. Yeah. That's what they all want. Yeah. Bradley does make a bit of a face where he's like, ooh. <laughs> 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 Rachel's talking about how she's going to miss her boyfriend who we haven't met at this point I don't know if we ever meet him maybe we do later on but Tina says oh you know three months isn't that long and she just goes Tina how would you know you haven't got a boyfriend it's like ouch yeah you haven't got a boyfriend also Tina probably one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen they're like oh Tina as if you could ever get a boyfriend shut I up know. Rachel also Rachel's they then Rachel fantasizes about standing on a beach and crying <laughs> A single tear coming down her face. Yeah. Five, just a good five seconds of Rachel crying with the old Vicks under the eyes. John starts his new job and he's got this kind of wacky boss showing him around. And I kind of thought, oh, is this like they're making fun of The Office? But this actually predates The Office. Yeah, by a couple of years. Yeah. Maybe this was the inspiration. Yeah. It's very ahead of its time. Ricky Gervais was at home watching this. <laughs> He was just getting his dose of S Club and he went, oh, do you know what? That's good. That, that's good stuff. It, this, it's an annoying manager who keeps going, wah, wah, wah. And then he says, here's your colleagues and points to three other people who work there. And they're the only other people who work there in quite a big room. And they're all silent. They only make facial expressions because the BBC did not want to pay them uh, an acting fee. <laughs> so, this is your desk. There's your phone. Anything else you want, don't ask for it because you won't get it. Wah, wah, oops. <laughs> yeah, there's our secretary over there, Dorothy. Wait to her then. 
She's mad. <laughs> and there's Chris, our under manager. He's mad. And there's Diane, who's always in the loo. She's mad. And there's me, of course, and I'm completely sane. Only joking. Wank, wank, oops. Then after that, they go to the airport and Paul is sort of vlogging before this was a thing. He's like talking to the camera. Mm, Very ahead of its time. He starts freaking out that he's lost his passport. And because Tina's quite a sort of no-nonsense character, she goes, calm down, Paul, stop being a plum. (laughs) Oh, Sophie, you say no-nonsense. She doesn't go, it's in your back pocket. She goes, put your arms out (laughs) and above your head. Then grab your bum and then he finds the passport. And it's like, do you know what, teeny smug cow? You could have told him where it was ages ago. Exactly. Yeah. She wanted to make him do some exercise. And he's like, exercise? Mm. Because as we've established before, Paul loves eating. Paul, who looks like every commercial dancer I've ever met, apparently is obsessed with food and is really lazy. Yeah, yeah. The rest of them start arriving and they are kind of greeting each other going, hi ho. As you do. Rachel has a load of suitcases with her. She's talking about being upset about her boyfriend again, but says she doesn't want to cry because it'll ruin her mascara. And Tina just sort of rolls her eyes like proper sassy. Did they not have the budget for like just half a day shooting where we could have got maybe 15 seconds of footage of her with this boyfriend? Because as far as we know, he doesn't exist. Like the show is really asking us to trust it that there is a guy called Matt, who she is going out with. Yeah, she could have made him up for all we know. The band might not even have met him. No, I don't think anything is shows real. (laughs) Hannah's whole family has come to see her off. And again, they're just sort of in the background, like just extras really, I guess. Yeah, it's for a visual gag, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Joe asks Bradley how his parents reacted to it. And he's like, oh no, I forgot to tell them. Yeah, it's, I mean, the the laughs just keep on coming with, S Club Miami. They, yeah, she got Hannah goes, Oh, my parents, my, my family weren't that fussed. And then the visual gag is like 20 Aryan people arrive <laughs> to say goodbye to Hannah. Yeah. And Bradley forgot to tell his family. I mean, it's a sad indictment on the lives of the S Club kids, especially now I found out that most of them were like doing their GCSEs. <laughs> They get on the plane and Joe says, John would have appreciated this. All the seats are numbered in nice, neat rows. <laughs> I'm not sure what this personality is that they're trying to set up for John, that he is good at reading contracts and he likes things in nice, neat rows. Like that's quite. Oh, John's crazy. He likes it when you get on a plane and you know how the seats are numbered. They're numbered in a, in a good order. Like Joe wouldn't give a shit if like A was at the back. C was somewhere in the middle. She doesn't care, but John cares about this sort of thing. Why is there a seat for John as well? Because spoiler alert, he then arrives and goes, hey guys, gets on the plane. Like, where was he? And because he hated the job, blah, blah, blah. And he, why was there a seat for him? Yeah, conveniently a seat right next to Paul where John could sit down. Yeah. Hello, guys. Yeah, anyway, John's there. Yeah, Rachel. Rachel's scared of flying and Hannah says, oh, just think of it like the number 37 bus, except you're 30,000 feet in the air and locked in. That's quite good, actually. I'm going to hand it yeah, to but- the pilot episode of this show. That's a quite a fun line but i was thinking there's there's the plane thing there's the burning skyscraper earlier like is hannah predicting 
9-11 here. She's having these oh, visions. Yeah. Hannah, she's like a truther before 9-11 even happened. There is an episode later on where it's established that she can communicate with a dolphin. So, Oh man, this show. What? What was wrong with kids? <laughs> John shows up at the last minute and we get the first proper sort of musical number, which is, uh, it's a feel good thing, brackets, buenos tiempos. Oh yeah. They all start um, singing in Spanish and it's got um, a, like a very sunny filter over the top of it. And they're just like singing on a plane. If this was really happening, I'd be furious if I was a passenger. Yeah, they're sort of dancing in the aisles, aren't they? But there isn't much space, so they're quite limited in what the dancing that they can do. I see it. Also, it had a line in it that went, it's a feel-good thing, it's an S-club thing, but their diction <laughs> is so awful that for, I had to listen to it over and over again because I thought they were saying, it's a feel-good thing, it's an escort thing. <laughs> They could have been. Okay, well, at least they're realistic. At least they're being realistic. I love how as well, when the song kicks off, it's as they're being brought their in-flight meals. So the opening of the song is them all being like, woo, yeah, let's go, while they're just opening this sad-looking food. I thought it was a really weird choice. Yeah, because I figure, because obviously they're going to Miami, to the worst hotel in Miami, but it's they're shooting in Miami for a reason. It's so that kids can watch the aspirational, beautiful young people sing and dance in their pastels in the sunshine. So just give them nice food. It's an aspirational show for children to watch. This is Sex in the City for kids. <laughs> that should go on the front cover of the, the DVD that I don't think <laughs> exists. I think there have been some fan campaigns at some point. I think it might be just video for now or uh, YouTube. Okay. That's the good thing about YouTube. It's all there. Uh, there's several albums that were released by bands and then were lost. Like you couldn't get them anywhere and they just show up on YouTube. So now everyone can quote unquote enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So at some point in this song, the pilots are dancing around and one of them covers his eyes and presses a random button on the plane. Fantastic. Hannah's dreams are coming true. The plane's going to hit the ground <laughs> like... 800 miles an hour. There's a bit where Tina is pulling a string of sausages and a rubber chicken out of the seat pocket in front of her, bizarrely. Kim Fuller strikes again. Yeah, and there's another bit as well where they kind of do the same joke twice. Paul opens the overhead locker and Hannah is in there and he looks at the camera right. like, whoa, what? And then there's another bit where Joe <laughs> has a window cleaner in the window next to her and she looks at the camera like, what is going on? Wow, this is the craziest plane I've ever seen. The windows are getting cleaned and one of my friends has got in the overhead locker. This plane is out of control. The other passengers are like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Then the episode ends with them being dropped off at the hotel and the driver is kind of like, oh, here you are at the Florida Paradise Hotel and does a really evil laugh. Like it's some sort of, you know, ghost story. And the hotel managers are greeting yeah. them. Marvin is dressed up as a beef eater and Howard is wearing a sort of pearly king hat and doing a bit of a cockney accent. Yeah. He was making less of an effort than Marvin. Yeah, he got a full beef eater outfit. Marvin's like the audience surrogate of this show. Yeah, he's kind of put upon and then Howard is the one in charge, really. That's right, yeah. Howard's the muscle. Yeah. Whereas Marvin is the heart. And they seem nice at first, but then... Yeah, Howard reveals that they have to be up at 7.30, work starts at 8, and it all ends really with John saying, oh, I wonder if that job at Clean Easy is still open. Yeah, like the it's a dystopian nightmare 
for S Club 7. So you thought you might have seen the show before, but then when you were watching it, you realised, oh, I haven't. In my head, because S Club 7 were, I mean, they weren't for me because I was 14 when they were a big hit, but S Club 7 were a big band. Like they were massive. So in my head, their show had been a very glossy, well-made show for children. And I watched it and went, this is like a GCSE project. Yeah, apparently they they shot it all in only a few weeks, really. Like it wasn't an enormous sort of long filming process. It was all very kind of intense. And like I say, it must have been quite daunting for the the band because yeah. you know they haven't acted before. They're suddenly flown to this other country. Yeah. Also, something I that hadn't really registered with me before is that this series was on before they'd even released any music. Oh, I see. Okay, so this isn't, oh, they've had a successful album and now they're getting their own TV show like the Monkees. It's like this was, the, this could have been the only thing they ever did. Yeah, because in my head I was thinking, oh, they got a TV show because they were so popular, but it was actually mm. a whole kind of strategic thing from the start where they did the TV series aired and then they released the first album after the TV show had finished or well, after Miami seven had finished, okay. they released an album and then the follow the following year they did the next series and then wow. released an album and so on and so forth. This explains more about why it looks so half-assed because <laughs> they were like, eh, yeah, I guess. just Simon Fuller going, here is 200 pounds. Get me the seven least annoying actors you can find oh never mind they're annoying fine we'll do it anyway they're 200 quid and make a show here's two cameras bless them i'm I'm, yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses now because i can imagine as it goes on i guess they maybe get some more money but you never know i hope so that that that, um, hotel that they're in it's all like bunk beds it looks like a prison i i imagine that's where the cast actually had to stay Yeah, there's a a documentary called It's an S Club Thing, which I think they maybe made after Miami 7 because they mainly talk about how the band was formed and then uh, how they filmed Miami 7. And it does sound like it was quite sort of grueling and, you know, not like a big sort of luxurious experience for them. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, and imagine being a teenager and getting this job and just thinking, well, Obviously, this is the start. And then in 15 years, that's when I get my Grammy or my Oscar. (laughs) And you end up like, oh, yeah, no, I was in that fucking band. (laughs) So before we finish, so where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything in particular that you want to plug? Um, I want to plug the NHS because <laughs> we need to save yep. it. You don't know. Yeah. Find me on, yeah, find me on Twitter at Suz UK, S O O Z UK. Um, I, while we're in lockdown, I don't know if we'll still be in lockdown when this is released, but while we're in lockdown, I am making my own episodes of EastEnders and putting them on YouTube because we're down <laughs> to two episodes a week. So I'm just making my own and the second episode's out now. So yeah, you'll never miss EastEnders again. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S-Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review.
GreatBigOwl.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.